Yo, 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 yo. Welcome back to another episode of the X Factor Sports Podcast. This is Jay Mondane. I want to thank you guys for tuning in. Be sure to like, share, subscribe, of course, on YouTube. We are airing live on TikTok and Facebook Live every Wednesday night. Episode six. I want to thank you guys for tuning in. Got a great show for you guys tonight. Quick news. We're going to talk about Bradley Beal getting traded to the Phoenix Suns. Big news in the NBA. Obviously, there are always going to be trade talks. The trade deadline is right around the 5th of July. So we're going to be some big moves coming up. The biggest move blockbuster trade we've had so far is Bradley Beal going to the Phoenix Suns. That trade is not completed yet because the Wizards are looking for a third team for Chris Paul, trying to acquiesce to him. He is a 38-year-old veteran, not looking to rebuild. So the Wizards are doing the right thing by a star player, trying to get him in a situation where he can be on a winning team. But Bradley Beal is a Phoenix Sun. Uh, He waived his no-trade clause. He's one of six or seven players in the NBA to ever have a no-trade clause, and he waived it for the right to go play in the Valley of the Sun with Phoenix. Um, But like I said, the deal's not complete yet. Um, Some other quick news we got. Zion Williamson is pretty much about to get extorted or looking to be extorted by a porn star. If you've seen what's been happening through the weeks, if you've looked at Twitter, I think her Twitter account even got canceled or suspended for the time being. Uh, Crazy stuff going on in his personal life. Gotten dragged into the NBA. And the NBA is a big business, not having it. So they're probably going to shut that down real quick. So she's threatening to release a sex tape, talking about, you know, all these things they did together. The, the Pelicans need to trade him. He don't deserve to be in New Orleans, yada, yada, yada. So a lot of that going on. I'm sure the Pelicans and the NBA, Adam Silver, is going to shut that down real quick. Uh, we're also going to talk about Draymond Green. He's opting out of his contract. Seems like big news, but I don't know if he's necessarily leaving the Golden State Warriors. It's more or less just opting out to see what his value is in the NBA. Uh, He is an aging veteran as well. A little bit past his prime, in my opinion. Don't know how much he can help another team win outside of the confines of the Golden State Warriors. So that'd be interesting to see. Wouldn't be surprised if he came back. Very shocked if he went somewhere else because I don't know what he can give to another team based on how the Golden State Warriors play basketball. So we'll see. We'll look into that as the summer goes on and see where they are. I'll keep you guys locked in on that also. And Portland, everybody has been hearing talks about Dame Lillard wanting to be traded, asking to be traded, all these things. Every season is a thing about Dame Lillard needing to get out. The public wants him to go leave Portland and try to go play somewhere where he has a chance to win the championship. The Portland Trailblazers have the third pick in the draft coming up tomorrow night. And it was the assumption that Dame will want to leave if they don't try to trade that pick for somebody, a veteran, because he doesn't want to play with young guys. That's the assumption. Well, Portland has died down all the trade talk and looks like they might be keeping that third pick. And so we'll see what happens in the upcoming days, what will happen with Dame Lillard, what this draft tomorrow will mean for the Portland Trail Blazers and Dame Lillard. We'll keep you guys locked in on that. Make sure you're checking in on my pop-ups that I do every week on all of the social media sites. 
always have reactions, fan reactions on what you guys just saw. So you'll be at, you'll be making sure to tap into that in the next couple of weeks. So I think they're going to hold off. So the topics we're going to talk about, we'll talk about the NBA draft, of course. Talk about favorites, sleepers, where players are going to go. The top three picks is what we'll dive into. We're going to talk about the NFL, the Chiefs. Can the Kansas City Chiefs repeat? Do they have what it takes to actually win back-to-back Super Bowls? And we'll dive in deeper as to see if they can and how they will if they do it. We're also going to talk about does Bradley Beal go into the Phoenix Sun? How does that affect Kevin Durant's legacy? Everybody always talks about the best player on a team when a good player goes to it and how it will affect their legacy. Obviously, he's been on a lot of different teams with a lot of different good players, um, if you want to call them big threes. So we're going to talk about how that affects his legs. Before we get into all of that, we're going to talk about rookies and not just in the NBA in particular, but rookies in general in every sport. Is there too much pressure on rookies when they get to the next level, the professional sport. The reason I want to bring this up is because obviously the NBA draft is tomorrow. Victor Wimbenyama is a presumably number one overall pick behind, followed by Scoot Henderson and uh, Brandon from Alabama, Brandon Williams from Alabama. So we're going to talk about rookies. Is there too much pressure on rookies nowadays and i say yes it is a lot of it has to do with society being this microwave society we got to have everything now you got to be great a lot of it is the publicity that these players get over time i've been watching sports my entire life and the media has grown more and more as as everything has in society but specifically social media Uh, these kids are being watched in aau since they're seven, eight, nine years old. So the pressure is already built up in them since high school. If you're an overseas player, people have heard about you in the case of Victor Wimbenyama being in France. The hype is just overwhelming. He's being compared to LeBron James when it comes to the hype. But I believe that there's too much pressure. For me personally, and people that know me that I talk to about sports outside of the show, understand that for me, I give rookies three years before I even have an opinion on their game because most of these young guys are coming in. They're still teenagers. None of us knew what the hell we were as teenagers. We didn't know we weren't men or women yet mentally, physically, emotionally, any of those things. So you got to think from a basketball standpoint, going into the NBA at 19, You've probably played in a in a season. If you won a championship wherever you've played before the NBA, you've probably played a maximum of 40 games. It's an 82-game season. It's a grind. You're playing in obscure cities. You're traveling every night. So the idea of an NBA game, let's say you play for the Bulls, right? If you're on a road trip, if you're on the West Coast, you play the Lakers on a Thursday night, Right? As soon as that game is over, you'll probably play the Clippers the very next night. So you get the bed, get your treatment, whatever. Shoot around in the morning, eat, try to nap, do whatever. You play the Clippers the very next night, same arena, right? After that game, 
you have one day to travel. You probably leave in LA at 1, 2 a.m. You get into the town you're going to, Phoenix, Utah, wherever, right? And then you got to do it all over again that very next night and play against Utah and perform at a high level. You're expected to perform at a high level. You're a professional. To deal with that after just being drafted in June and then you go through your first training camp of not knowing what the hell is going on and expect to perform for 82 games is a lot. The, the rookie wall is not a rumor. <laughs> it's not a, it's not fiction. Like the rookie wall is a real thing. If you notice, you'll look at rookies, even the best rookies that come out, the rookies of the year. They start off playing well. Nobody has any film on them yet. You're trying to understand the game. You just go out and play. Teams start getting film on you. Teams start adjusting to the way you play games, taking things away from you. It's hard to get film on players because you're playing different nights in different cities. But by the 40th game, you've, you've maxed out physically and probably mentally because you haven't played more than that amount of basketball in a period of time in the season. Now you have 42 more games to play. You've only played half the season. So you'll see it if you even go back and you can check the stats of rookies during their rookie year, they kind of hit a wall around December, the dog days of the season. And you see their numbers start to dip, whether they're tired, overwhelmed, injured, any of those things happen. And then they got to finish out the season. And if you're lucky enough to be on a good team, you may even be in the playoffs and get to 70 or get to 85, 90 games. So I say all that to say, Yes, there is too much pressure on rookies to perform right away. I give them three years because of how grueling it is to play a sport. And I need to see them in a couple of training camps. I need to see their bodies develop, see them understand the game, failures, successes, deal with media, deal with fans. I want to see all of that before I decide on if a player is good or bad. Using John Morant, for example, he's gotten three years in. I can start to critique his game and if I like it or dislike it, what he can work on, what he can get better at, things like that. But it would be hard for me to judge a Victor Wimanyama after his first year. But obviously you're going to have pundits and you're going to have fans and Twitter trolls and everybody are going to be, you know, throwing stones at the kid. I'm going to give him time. And I want to see what he does in years to come, see how good he can be. So that's what I would that's what I would look for. The pressure that is put on these players needs to be dialed back a little bit. Let's see one if they are built to play at that level. And then if they are, give them the chance to show, you know, where they can play, how good they can be. And I think that takes time. I don't expect any of these rookies to come out and just be great right out the gate and just tear the league up like set it on fire. So give them time. Let's see what they can do. And Let's understand that just because the rest of the world is impatient doesn't mean that the player has to fall into that trap of, I need to be good right away. It's a process. Enjoy the beauty of the process. Get better. Look back on the year and see what you worked on and just continue to improve. And that's how you stay in the league for a long time. You know, So that's what I think will happen with these rookies coming in if they understand that concept and I'll see them in years to come, and that's when I'll make my adjustments or make my predictions on what they will be as players. But as of now, 
They're rookies, man. I don't even pay any attention to them. They're not going to impact winning. That's why they're on bad teams. That's why they're getting picked high. The teams aren't ready to win now. Even though they're expected to take the torch and run a franchise, again, it's a 19-year-old. Who expects a 19-year-old to know what the hell they're doing, right? <laughs> so that's how I feel about it. When we come back, we will dive in a little deeper into the NBA draft. Like I said, I'm going to talk about the top three picks and the expectations and kind of the situations that they're in and what will happen tomorrow in the NBA draft. This is Jay Mondaine of the X Factor Sports Podcast. We're just getting started. Don't go nowhere. Welcome back to the X Factor Sports Podcast. Appreciate you guys tapping in. We are live on YouTube, Facebook, and TikTok every Wednesday. So go ahead and check us out. Episode six, let's get into the NBA draft. Tomorrow night, we got some dreams coming true with some top tier players in the NBA. We're going to talk about the three players that will be picked tomorrow in the draft, top three. Number one overall pick, is going to be Victor Wimbenyama out of France, seven foot five center, can handle the ball, shoot threes, rebounds, block shots. I don't see the San Antonio Spurs passing up on him. Even though if you look at the scouting and you look at the, the draft boards of what they need, they need guard play. When you have a, genera a generational talent like a Victor Wimbenyama, you don't pass up on him. The Spurs have a good history of drafting number one overall and getting good big centers. You guys remember they drafted David Robinson out of the Navy in 1989. Ten years later, or eight years later, actually, they got Tim Duncan out of Wake Forest and won a championship with them in 99. And now they have the number one overall pick again. They get Vic, they will get Victor Wimbenyama tomorrow, I believe. And I'm not surprised that he's going to the Spurs again. Strip away the fact that this is basketball. The NBA is a business. You got to understand something. When you have a generational talent coming to the sport, you don't want to break the spirit of the talent. You have to put them in the right situation. There's a story out there, and Shaq, even Shaq brought it up. He talked to uh, David Stern when he was the commissioner. When Shaq got drafted in 92, they do the pre-draft meetings and all that, and he talks about how David Stern came up to him in one of those meetings, pre-draft meetings where the, the rookies or the, the incoming guys are meeting everybody, you know, learning the business of basketball. He talks about, and I don't know if this is true, but he talks about David Stern coming up to him was like, 
hey, you, you're obviously going to be the number one overall pick. Do you want to go somewhere warm or do you want to go somewhere cold? And Shaq was looked at him was like, what? He was like, you want to go somewhere warm or you want to go somewhere cold? Shaq said, I want to play somewhere warm. He said, Orlando's getting the ball. Meaning the lottery, Orlando's getting the number one overall pick. And sure enough, Orlando gets the number one overall pick and they get Shaquille O'Neal. Now, when they drafted Shaq, Orlando was a young franchise. For those young, for you young listeners or the young viewers that don't know, the Orlando Magic have only been around since 1988-89. They were an expansion team with the Miami Heat and the Timberwolves and Charlotte Hornets were the year before. So they're young, they're a young franchise. I'm older than their franchise. <laughs> but fast forward three years, obviously when you have a new franchise in the NBA, you are trying to make a splash. You're trying to generate revenue. David Stern was big on international cable and building revenue for the NBA. And so when you got Shaquille O'Neal, that's a that's a can't miss. So he goes to the Orlando Magic. I believe the same thing will happen with Victor Wimbyama. Not that he'll be Shaquille O'Neal, but it's not a coincidence that the draft ball went to the San Antonio Spurs. They're a well-run franchise, a, a respected organization. Greg Popovich is a respected coach. When you have an asset like a Victor Wimbyama, you don't want them going to a team where they're not ran properly or the coaching is not there where this player can't reach his full potential. You, you wanna put that asset, that investment in the best situation possible. So I wasn't surprised when the Spurs got the number one overall pick. Greg Popovich is gonna be his coach. He's in a good organization. Like I said, they're gonna groom him to be one of the faces of the NBA. The Spurs have been bad since Kawhi Leonard and Tony Parker and all those guys left about eight years ago. And they're a winning franchise. You want your winning franchises to be good in those types of markets. So it was a no-brainer that he would that they would get the number one pick, and it's a no-brainer that he would go number one to them. So that's why I believe they'll get Victor Wimbyama. Thinking, like I said in the monologue, it'll take them time, but there will be flashes of good basketball. I think he'll learn good habits there. I think they'll hone his skills. Again, he's from France, so it's no surprises that. He's going to a team that has experience with international players, Manu Ginobili. Tony Parker is from France. They had um, Boris Diaw, another French national player. So you can bring those guys back into that organization to groom him to be who they need him to be. The number two overall pick is going to the Charlotte Hornets. And there is talks about, you know, Scoot Henderson, Brandon Miller out of Alabama. And I believe that the Charlotte Hornets are going to take Brandon Miller at number two. He would be the number one overall pick in this draft if it wasn't for Victor. Actually, Scoot might be because they need to guard. But I think with his size at 6'9 and the way he can play, he's got guard skills as well. He plays on the inside, outside. The way the NBA is, the Charlotte Hornets need a athletic wing presence. And I think that's what you get out of Brandon Miller. They already got um, LaMelo Ball at the point guard. So you don't really need Scoot Henderson at that spot when you already got him. And they have Scary Terry out there as well. So uh, Terry Rozier. So you got your guard play already. You really don't need Scoot to come in because wherever Scoot goes, he's starting right away. You don't put a guy that great, that good off the bench. So 
with what Charlotte needs, I think with an athletic long wing player, after getting rid of Miles Bridges a couple of years ago, I think this will be the replacement for that and fill him in. So Charlotte will probably utilize that number two pick and use Brandon Miller. The number three pick will go to the Portland Trailblazers. I touched on this earlier in the quick news. Scoot Henderson will be that third pick. Again, we don't know what will happen. I believe Portland is kind of up in the air. It's a wild card. We don't know if Dame Lillard is getting traded or not. I believe that this draft pick will all be predicated on the future of Damian Lillard being in Portland. So it's two sides to it. If Portland decides to keep the draft pick, they draft Scoot Henderson. It's a great situation for him. Chauncey Billups is your coach. Mr. Big Shot, clutch, point guard, finals MVP. Who better to learn the NBA game from than a point guard, a professional like Chauncey? And he's going to have a great running mate with him. He's going to be running with Anthony Simons. He's an up-and-coming guard who can play as well. I think him and Scoop will be exciting basketball. Then they just need to learn how to win together. Again, that three-year rule that I have. Um, so he'll be the first point guard taken off the board. Plays for the G League. Um, Ignite. League Ignite. Played really good this year. Spectacular player. Athletic. Can jump out the gym. Reminds me a lot of Ja in his game, but he, he's a little stronger. I think he's a little more NBA ready. His body is more NBA ready than Jaws. So it'll be interesting to see how he plays. Plays with a lot of tenacity. Plays Likes to play defense, which is always good coming in the league, ready to be a defender. But so you have that side of it. If they keep him, you have to believe that Damian Lillard will ask for a trade for a number of reasons. One, you're bringing in somebody at his position. Two, you are telling him, a 10-year veteran, 11-year vet, that we are looking to rebuild. We have a young backcourt. We're looking to rebuild. We know you're, you are closer to the end of your career than the prime of your career. So let's put you in a situation where you can go win. So I, that's what I believe will happen if they draft Scoot Henderson. They're basically telling Dame Lillard, all right, we're going to put you in a situation where you can go somewhere and win. Now, the places I believe he can go and do that, Miami comes to my mind immediately. And I think I talked about this in a couple episodes ago about what Miami can do next with Kyle Lowry on his way out the door. And we don't know the future of like the Gabe Vincents, Duncan Robinsons. You bring in a guy like Dane to play with Kyle Hero, Jimmy Butler, and Bam Adebayo, that's a serious team. You got leadership, you got scoring, you got ball handling, you have everything you need to get back to the final. So that's the first team that comes to mind when I think of Dane. So if the Portland Trail Blazers are going to keep that draft pick, I can see Dane being out of there. Now, if they trade the pick, because that can happen. They can trade the pick to another team with a player. We can hear some in the next 24 hours about what the Portland Trailblazers are going to do. And that'll make it exciting. So I'm really interested to see what happens draft night. There'll probably be a lot of trades, a lot of draft day trades, a lot of switching around teams. And it'll give you an idea of what's going to happen in the weeks to come once the draft is done. So out of those three players, who do I think will have the better career? Before I get into that, though, I won't even go career. 
out of those three players, who do I think can win rookie of the year? Not to say that rookie of the year is locked with those three players. You got some twins that are probably going to go fourth and fifth. They're good. Shooting guards, small forwards, or shooting guard, point guards, combos. Got a kid out of Indiana that's good. Like, there are players that are coming to the league that will be good. But out of these three, they're the highlight of the draft. So if I were to think of, out of those three, who could win rookie of the year, I would go with Scoot Henderson simply because he'll have the ball in his hands the most. Yes, Victor Wimbenyama will have the hype. He will be highlighted a lot. He may have games on TV because people want to see him. But if I want to go by sheer volume, who will have the ball in their hands the most, who will have more control over the wins and losses of their team, you know, who will dictate more of the game, I would go with Scoop Henderson. I think he will have more impact as a rookie right away because of how much he'll play and how much he'll have the ball in his hands. I would say out of those three, Scoop can be rookie of the year, which is furthermore the reason why Dame would not be, you know, opposed to stepping aside. All right, kid, it's your turn. Go ahead and fill the shoes. I'm going to go ahead and try to win somewhere. I think Portland will do right by him for all his years of service. So that's what it's looking like. Who will have the better career? That could be determined based on injury. A lot of things come into play, but all things equal. I think Victor Wimbenyama can have the better career. I always go with the bigger player when it comes to sports. I want the bigger guy. If you can do the, if two players can do the exact same thing, I want the guy that's bigger. He's going to be more durable. He's going to be able to handle the punishment of the NBA. He's going to be able to last longer. So I would take that guy. So I'm going to go with Vic. If he were deciding on who would have the better career out of the three, that's the guy I would go with. I'm going with big six. Seven, he's seven five. <laughs> I mean, damn. Like, I will take that. So, but when we come back, we will jump off the NBA for a second. We're going to get into some NFL. I know my NFL fans haven't heard any football in a while. The Kansas City Chiefs just had their ring ceremony. Congratulations to them. But what we're going to talk about is do they have what it takes to repeat? We talked about it when they won it back in 2019. If they could repeat, they made it to the Super Bowl, but they didn't get it done. This Will this year be the year where the Chiefs can finally repeat and be considered one of those teams that we call Dynasty? We'll be right back. X-Factor Sports Podcast. Welcome back to the X-Factor Sports Podcast. Again, I want to thank you guys for tuning in on YouTube, Facebook Live, and TikTok. We are on Wednesday nights, every Wednesday night, 7 p.m. Central Time. Back at it. So, let's talk football, all right? Kansas City Chiefs, Super Bowl champs, 
beat the Philadelphia Eagles in this past February, just got their rings, did the whole White House visit, the song and dance parade, all that celebration from last year's success. Now we got to turn the page to 2023 and ask the question. The question has to be asked every year, right? After the team wins the Super Bowl, we got to know, can this team repeat? Will there be a repeat Super Bowl champion? We have not had a repeat Super Bowl champion since the 04-05 New England Patriots. And that's when we had our last quote-unquote dynasty, right? I would even give it to the Patriots that came after the 2010s. The 2010s decade, I would even consider them a dynasty. Jay, how do you consider them a dynasty? They didn't win back-to-back. So there are some criteria when it comes to dynasties in any sport. So if you win a back-to-back championship, now we can start having dynasty conversation, right? If you win back-to-back, okay, because think about it. You've won two in two years. Obviously, that's what back-to-back means. You have the ability to win another one. You can even fall off a year or two and come back and get one. In a five-year period, in, in what we would call like an era. In sports, eras are so small. I would say a sports era is like a five-year window, right? Because so many things happen. Trades, you know, teams fall off, injuries, coaches get fired. All types of things can happen in five years. So I would consider a five-year window being an era. If you can get three rings in a five-year era, even if you want to extend it to six, that's still one every other year on average. Or you get a back-to-back, three out of five, three out of six, and you get a back-to-back in there, you have to be considered a dynasty. Let's look at the dynasties we've seen in our in, in recent memory. We'll go backwards. The last dynasty we've seen in football, the Patriots won in 15, 17, and 19. We're going to consider that a dynasty. Right. They won three in five years. Brady Brady has two dynasties under his belt. He won six rings in, in uh, New England and he won them in a period of time. Once he started winning them, he continued to win them. There wasn't very much of a gap. You go back to the first dynasty that they had in New England when they won it in 01. They were off in 02. They won it again 03, 04. Boom, boom. So three and four years, three and five years, dynasty. And they want a back-to-back. This is what the Chiefs are looking to do now. They won it in 2019. They're looking to go to their fourth Super Bowl in five years and win their third Super Bowl in five years and cap it off with a back-to-back. Right now at this very moment, which I talked about, I believe, in the pre episode, that the Chiefs are not a dynasty at this point, but they have the opportunity to do something special this season, if that's the focus. They have everything they need in place. They have the franchise quarterback. They have the great coach in Andy Reid. I'll consider Andy Reid great now. He's at that level. They have a Hall of Fame tight end, Kelsey, if he retired today, he's a Hall of Famer. They have a good defense. The defense isn't great, but the defense is good in spots. They're great when they need to be, and that's all you need to win situational football. 
And Mahomes has shown that he can win without an elite wide receiver in Tyreek Hill. Um, they have a great front office that puts pieces around their franchise quarterback to be successful. And the team loves playing together. They love playing for Andy Reid. All the ingredients you need to be a dynasty. So let's get into on the field in this season what they can do to make them that quote-unquote dynasty or win this back-to-back. If you look at the schedule this season, these are things that actually work in their favor. Yes, they have a tough schedule, a first-place schedule, but let me tell you, let, let me show you how the NFL works for their good teams and how they put their good teams in position to stay relevant. They might have one, they might have only one bad weather road game this season. Let me explain. Obviously, the Chiefs play in Kansas City, right? So the weather can be up and down. The saying they have here is you don't like the weather, wait five minutes. Everything can change in a matter of seconds. However, there's something to be said about football when you're playing in bad weather at home versus playing in bad weather on the road. The Chiefs know how Arrowhead Stadium operates. They know the ins and outs, the nuances of the field, the fans, all of that. So they're going to be comfortable here. They understand. They play football. They know they're going to have to play in December, November, December, January, if they're good enough. So when I say that they might have one bad weather road game, if you look at the schedule, December 3rd, they go and play against that green team up north. We don't say their name on this podcast. So if you want to know who that is, you look it up. The green team up north, they played them December 3rd. And the weather can be good or bad up there. So I wouldn't even consider that a bad weather game. December 3rd is still early and it's still fall, technically. They go to New England December 18th. That may be their only cold, bad weather game going up to the Northeast December 18th. And it's a Monday night game. New England doesn't look to be that great this year. In episode four, episode three, we actually talked about New England's schedule probably being arguably one of the worst schedules for them. So if we're looking at it that way, they don't have to worry about bad weather on the road. The best teams that they play, they actually get at home. They get the Bills at home. They get the Eagles at home after a bye week when they go play the Dolphins in Germany. So you go to Germany and play the Dolphins on a neutral field. Neutral field. You get a long break. You get a bye. And then you get ready to play Buffalo at home. Then you get the Bengals at home later that year as well. So the teams that they're playing against that are top tier, they get them all at home or neutral sites. They don't have to go to a true road game. They won't get any bad weather road games. The division is never as good as we think. We always talk about it. We talked about it last year. Oh, man. The AFC East, they could have four teams go to the playoffs. Man, the, the Raiders going to be good. Russell Wilson going to, to the Broncos. You know how the Chargers can get down. The Chargers be charging at the end of the season. <laughs> they did what they do. You saw the playoff game. Chargers be charging. The Broncos, probably the biggest disappointment out of everybody. And then the Raiders, I mean, I didn't expect much from the Raiders anyway. Even though they had a good wide receiver come in, didn't see not anything materializing in the first season. So there's always hype around the AFC West at the beginning of the year. Don't expect much out of those teams. So they could win their division. And they're going to go through 
this New England Patriot formula of getting to an AFC championship game. So if you remember back in the early 2000s, how terrible the AFC East was, the Dolphins were bad. The Bills were real bad. The Jets were worse than real bad. <laughs> and, the, and, the, and the Patriots ran through all of them, so they win their division. If you win your division in the NFL, you get an automatic home playoff game. And for the Patriots, they actually were good. So what they did was if they win 10, 11 games, they get a home playoff game in a first-round bye. Fast forward to today's NFL, two teams get a bye in the first round because there's seven teams that go in each conference. So now the Chiefs win their division. You get the best teams you play are at home. You won't have any grueling road games weather-wise. So the Chiefs are probably predicted to win 13 games this year. They may go 12 and 5, 13 and 4. And 13 and 4 in the AFC will get you a one or two seed because that's the best conference. They're going to beat each other up. So I can see them getting a home playoff game. Now, if they get a first round bye, they only need to win two games to get back to the Super Bowl. You get the divisional round because you get the bye, the wild card. You get the divisional game at home. Then you get the conference championship game at home. So the same thing that happened last year, everything was going crazy. You know, the the Bills and the Bengals had that game that got canceled, but the Chiefs would have had a bye anyway. But now you fast forward, they have a divisional game at home, conference championship game at home, and now you're at the Super Bowl. So it's very feasible to believe that they have a, a very good chance of getting back to that game. Now it's about winning that game. Can they win that game? And that will be the talk if they get to that game is dynasty. That will be the talk throughout the entire playoffs. I don't care about hearing it in September, October, November. Even after Turkey Day, doesn't matter. In January, when they're winning games in January, then the conversation will be serious about does this team have what it takes to win back-to-back -back Super Bowls? And again, it doesn't happen often. It, it's rarely done. You can go back in history and see it's it's done once every decade. Every every other era. Remember I talked about earlier, sports eras are about five years. It happens in different eras. The 70s, it happened with the Steelers. The 80s, it happened with the 49ers. The Cowboys did it in the 90s. The Patriots did it in 2000. And it hasn't happened in almost 20 years. There's so much parity in the sport of football, which makes it great to win a Super Bowl. There's so much parity in the sport that if you find a team that can win back-to-back -back Super Bowls, you have to put them in the upper echelon of history of the sport. And I'll tell you what, people are already considering Patrick Mahomes as one of the greatest quarterbacks ever. If he wins another Super Bowl, and get Super Bowl MVP? You telling me this dude's got three rings before the age of 28? Probably be all pro for the fourth, fifth time. Three MVP, he'll have two league MVPs, three Super Bowl MVPs. He's gonna probably shatter every passing record if he keeps playing the way he plays. I mean, I'll just put it like this. 
if Patrick Mahomes wins the Super Bowl this year, oh man, I'll put him top five. Top five, man. I'm a, I'm a tough grader. <laughs> I'm a tough grader. It's hard to put him top two or three because for me, it's longevity matters. Call me old fashioned. Longevity matters. He can he can win this Super Bowl. He'll be a Hall of Famer, yes. But God forbid he gets hit by a bus the day after Super Bowl, right? His career is over. He only played seven years. It's very hard for me to put you as a top two or three quarterback when Joe Montana has four Super Bowls and is undefeated in all of them. No, no, no interceptions. No losses in Super Bowls. Perfect. With Joe Montana. You have a Tom Brady with seven of them in 23 years. He played 20. When the standard of playing back playing football now is 20 years for a quarterback, after year six or seven, it's hard for me to put you in the top two or three. It's just there's great and then there's iconic, right? So when he gets to that iconic level, then we can have that conversation about Mahomes. But yes, he is a great quarterback, great talent. I can use the word great with Mahomes, but I'm tough, man. If you live, if you watched the last episode, greatness, I don't, I don't give that out. I don't, I don't, I can't just give that to you because you won a couple times. Like you have to do something that other people haven't done. And for him to have three Super Bowls. I mean, Troy Aikman has three, but nobody talks about Troy Aikman in this light. You know, um, Terry Bradshaw has four. People don't talk about Terry Bradshaw like this because he's so far removed. You know, it happened so many years ago, people forget. Terry Bradshaw won four Super Bowls in the 70s. So it's just tough, you know, and people are starting to even get away from Joe Montana, and he won four, and people are moving away from him being one of the greatest. They're talking... For some reason, Aaron Rodgers is in this conversation. I have no idea why. But you know what I mean? Like, so it's hard for me, knowing what I know and seeing what I saw, to put him up there as the greatest quarterback when the standard is, you know, the standard is so high. There's just more to be done. Not to say he can't do it. And even he would say that. There's more to be done, more winning to be had, more records to be broken before you can put his full body of work together and, and match it up to be one of the greatest to ever do it. So that's how I feel about it. But how we started the segment off, do the Chiefs have what it takes to win a back-to-back -back Super Bowl and be considered that dynasty? I believe they can. With the road they have, with the way the NFL set up their schedule, it's not an accident that the best teams in the league that they play against are at home. They have a record six primetime games this year. So games will be on TV. You will be seeing the Chiefs play all the time. And, and rightfully so. They're the Super Bowl champs. They're the best team. You should watch the best team, right? That's how you draw in casual fans. Casual fans want to see winners. So it makes sense. So they have the recipe laid out for them to do it. Obviously, all this is bar an injury. So the fun of the sport is they have to go out and play. Now let's see who's going to try to take them out. Who wants to knock the king off the hill? We'll see if they can. So, yes, I believe they can do it. 
but will they? Stay tuned and watch the NFL season and watch the X Factor Sports Podcast as we go week to week. When we come back, we're going to jump back into the NBA. And we're going to talk about Kevin Durant. Bradley Beal coming to the Phoenix Suns. Does this affect Kevin Durant's legacy? I'm going to put a spin on the narrative of Kevin Durant. I'm going to spin it and show you guys what I think about the, the Kevin Durant narrative. The X Factor Sports Podcast. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the X Factor Sports Podcast. Again, Jay Mondane tapping in with you guys on this NBA draft eve. We're going to jump back into the NBA. So like I said in the quick news in the opening, Kevin Durant, Bradley Beal, rather, has been traded to, he waived his no trade clause and is now a Phoenix Sun, which means that Bradley Beal, Devin Booker, DeAndre Ayton, and Kevin Durant will all be on the same team. And there's a lot of speculation, a lot of noise has always been around Kevin Durant ever since he left Oklahoma City back in 2017 to go play for the Golden State Warriors. There's always been this narrative around his name. Oh, he took the easy way out. He didn't want to compete. This, that, and the third. Everybody knew he was going to win. So the narrative about him is his legacy. What does this mean for his legacy? He's on another super team. You know, he put it together. So this is the same type of BS that LeBron used to get when he came to building a team. I didn't, I didn't never took any flack. I never gave LeBron any flack for the teams he played on for the simple fact that you still have to go out and win, right? It doesn't matter who you play with. If you ain't winning, then now we have a problem. Or now, you know what I'm saying? Like, if what are your reasons for putting this team together? So with KD, if you go back, the reason he left the Golden State Warriors, or I'm sorry, the reason he left Oklahoma City Thunder, he played for OKC, finished out his rookie deal, and he extended his deal. Got an MVP there. Took them to the playoffs. They went to the Western Conference Finals four times with Kate, with Russ. Went to an NBA Finals at 21, 22 years old with a young team. And it was getting to the point where the organization was choosing Westbrook over Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant wanted to play good basketball. When you're elite, when you're elite at something, you want to be around other elite people. So for those of you who have never been in a situation of winning around good things, you wouldn't understand 
why he left OKC. He didn't leave OKC just to say, I want to go play with them to win a championship. He understood how they played basketball, and that's how he wanted to play. It's not an accident that he was able to go in there and it was seamless. You ask all the players, they all say it was a seamless transition. He sacrificed being the guy. He didn't need to be the guy anymore. He knew he was going to be able to still get his 28 a game, whatever you needed. He actually became a – he was always an underrated defender, but he actually became a good defender, a better defender in uh, Golden State. So he goes there. And it ain't like he rolled the coattails of, of the Splash Brothers or Draymond or Iguodala or any of those guys. They go to the finals. He wins finals MVP. They lose one NBA finals game in those back-to-back -back years that he played when he was healthy. The third year, he tore his Achilles and ankle ruptured his ankle or his uh, calf. So, obviously, he didn't play. The two years he was healthy, they lost one game in the finals. They swept they, they won in five in 17, and they swept in 18. So did he not do what he was set out to do there? I'm confused. For all you dudes that play ball, when y'all go to the court, <clears throat> who are y'all picking up? Most of you dudes come to the court with y'all own five. So y'all come with y'all own five. Why? You want to play with guys that know how to play, guys that know, that, that know you, especially, especially and you ain't trying to pick up no bums. You don't want to play with a bum because you're trying to win. You go to the court to win games. All he did was do it at a professional level. He was playing where he was drafted. He met his obligation. He's like, all right, now I want to go play somewhere where they appreciate playing the game the same way I play the game. And so he goes to Golden State. The expectations were to win. Did they not win? The expectation was for him to be the best player. Was he not the best player? The expectation was for him to be the finals MVP. Was he not two times? So his situation is a damned if you do, damned if you don't, right? If they lose, they would have killed him. Oh, you went all the way over there and y'all didn't win. He wins is, oh, you went over there and it was easy for you. So again, damned if you do, damned if you don't. So they win. The third year comes again. He had a he had a two year or three year deal with the option. Third year comes, he gets hurt. They lose in the finals, so they go to three straight championships. They lose in the finals. He tears his Achilles. As opposed to staying there where everybody else wanted him to stay, he goes to Brooklyn. The narrative behind that is he goes to Brooklyn because he want to go with Kyrie. He's stupid for leaving Golden State. So, like I told you, I'm going to put a spin on this narrative. How about everything he learned about how to win in Golden State, he wanted to take that somewhere else and see if he can do it on his own. Have we not all done this in our life? Have we not all learned something from somewhere and said, all right, let me see if I can apply it elsewhere and get success? I don't consider his Brooklyn experience a failure. The first year he was out the whole year because of his Achilles. With all the noise about Ben Simmons, James Harden, Kyrie Irving, with all that noise surrounding him, he was always professional. He showed up to work. The only time he didn't play in games is when he was injured. He played in every game. <clears throat> and he was the same old KD. 50-40-90, 30 a game, good defense, 
rebounded. He did everything that KD does every time he steps on the court. He didn't change. And he was literally a toenail away from going to the finals with literally carrying that, that team to pass the Bucks or pay, to a game seven and losing with hitting the shot with his foot on the line. But again, damned if you do, damned if you don't. So the whole narrative behind that, it was a failure. You know, they, they was messed up from the start. He just wanted to build another super team, yada, 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 as if he built the first super team. But that's neither here nor that. So now he goes to Phoenix. Again, the situation in Brooklyn, he gave them everything he could. Yes, he went in the media and said he wanted to be traded or he wanted something to happen. But you got to understand something. A team is not going to acquiesce to a superstar athlete if they are not professional. His situation was totally different from Kyrie's in the sense that he was professional with them. He was always there. He came and showed up to work. He he gave the Brooklyn Nets everything he could give them. And their team wasn't good enough to win. He's at a point in his career now where he wants to go win. So they said, let's put you in a situation where you can go play winning basketball. He went to Phoenix. Now he's there in Phoenix. They bring Bradley Beal over. Everybody can see the writing on the wall for Chris Paul. Now they're going to try to make this thing work. So the legacy of Kevin Durant being, oh, he's a snake. Oh, he wants to be traded to this and that. He's jumping teams. The same narrative that LeBron had jumping team to team. I don't have that for any of these players. I'm consistent about it. They they all want to win. And sometimes you can't win in a situation you, you are brought in with a franchise. You got to go elsewhere. Everybody can't beat Kobe Bryant, Dirk Nowitzki, Tim Duncan, Jordan, Bird. You can't have your whole career in one spot and win championships. It doesn't work that way. So when you have control over your own career, you're going to take control of it. You're going to go where you feel like you put yourself in the best situation to be successful. You also have to remember that nowadays these players have their own businesses, their own enterprises. So a lot of these moves are predicated on off the field, off the court success as well. Being in Phoenix, that could be a situation for him business-wise. That's probably why he went to Brooklyn, because he was in New York. That probably helped his brand as well. So you got to think of it like that too. So for me, watching him play basketball, the legacy of Kevin Durant as it stands now is that he's a great basketball player. And if you're a champion, you're a champion. You have to still go out and win it. Nobody gave him the championship. He had to go out and play, and he had to play at a high level, and he earned it. Now, what this chapter will do for him in Phoenix, who knows? He may not win a championship in Phoenix. That doesn't take away from the skill, the hard work, and the championships that he has won. Everybody talks about Steph having four. Steph would only have two if he didn't go there, and Steph wouldn't be in this conversation of the echelon great players. LeBron may have six championships if it wasn't for KD going there and getting two of them. So a lot of this stuff can be changed and the narrative can be flipped however you want to see it. But the way I see it is, as a player that wants to play the right way, he never cheated the game and he always wanted to win. And he wants to be around players that want to win as well. So that's how I see it. What do you think his legacy will be? What do you think his legacy is right now? I'll leave that for you. When we come back, 
we'll get into the two-minute warning. This is the X Factor Sports Podcast. Yo, yo, welcome back to the X Factor Sports Podcast. I want to thank you guys for tuning in. Before we head out, we're going to talk about outside influences and how that relates to sports life, of course. You got players like what's going on in the news with Zion, John Morant, getting a 25-game suspension. What are your outside influences? As a young player, Make sure you surround yourself around the people that care. When you're young, it's hard to see. A lot of this stuff will be hindsight when you get older. Seeing who actually was there for you, who cares about you. The one way to know that you're around people that care about you is put, surround yourself around people that will tell you the truth. Don't stay, don't stay around these yes men, these yes women, people that are in it for themselves what you can do for them. Those aren't the people you want to be around. You want to be around people that will tell you the truth, people that aren't afraid to tell you the truth. And as a person, you have to be able to absorb that truth and do something with it. You can't take offense to it. And that's how I believe I operate in life. I want to be around people that are going to tell me the truth. And I want to reciprocate that. Sometimes the truth hurts. Sometimes love is tough. But I know that those people actually care about my best interest. And when you look at a Zion and you look at a John Morant, they need to remember what got them to the NBA, what got them to where they are. And that's obviously putting the work in. But more importantly, surrounding themselves around people that care about their best interest and who can tell them the truth. And that's what you want in your life. Make sure you surround yourself with people that are not afraid to tell you the truth and not afraid to help you seek the truth. I appreciate you guys tuning in. This is Jay Mondane from the X Factor Sports Podcast. I want to thank my producer, Ms. D, for always holding it down. See you guys next week, episode seven. We will have Bet That back next week for all my betters out there. I want to thank you all for tuning in, man. Have a good night. Peace out.